You are listening to the Alouette's Flight Deck, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. All right, folks, we've been clear for takeoff. Welcome to the Alouettes Flight Deck, the podcast dedicated to Montreal Alouettes football. I'm Cliffy D, and you can follow me on Twitter, at Cliffy D. And I'm Tim Capper. You can also follow me on Twitter, but at Repact. That's R-E-P-P-A-C-T. And this episode of the podcast is presented by our good friends over at SportBuff, where if you use the promo code FlightDeck-10 at checkout, you will save 10% off your entire order. So head over to sportbuffshop.com, use the code, save some money, and enjoy your new, new merch. And of course, the Elwes Flight Tech is all over the internet. You can find the archive of our entire seven-season run over at www.alouettesflightdeck.ca. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, at alouettesfldeck. You can find us on Instagram, at instagram.com slash alouettesflightdeck. Or talk to us on Facebook, at facebook.com slash Alouette's Flight Deck Pod. If you want to check out our merch store, you can do so at teespring.com slash stores slash Al's Flight Deck. And make sure you check out the Alouette's Flight Deck on YouTube over at youtube.com slash Alouette's Flight Deck. Please like, please comment, and please subscribe to the channel. That's right. And just as a reminder, we are going to be giving away the jacket as promised because you were so helpful in getting us to the to our goal of uh, 100 plus followers over on our YouTube page. Uh, stay tuned for that. And as I said, that w- that drawing will be done before the end of our uh, 2022 broadcast season. So before we get into the the game this week, and I had not known until I heard it on TV, by the way, that this was this one this first time that games meant nothing in a CFL week since the first time since the Alouettes returned in 96 I had no clue by the way that was like that's mind-blowing but good good for the league obviously um if you happen to see what I wrote on social media uh today as the day that we are taping this cliff on November 2nd 2022 we are at the 25th anniversary of the infamous, uh, people are calling it different things that I've talked to today, the the infamous U2 game over at Percival Molson Stadium. So we're back in 1997 because of a booking uh, uh, conundrum with U2 taking the Big O for their Pop Mart tour concert. The Alouettes had to find another place to play, and they went and decided to play at what was them, a dilapidated Percival Molson Stadium, but... It blew up into what we know for the Alouettes and what we know of Percival Molson today. And I think, Cliff, you will agree with me. And if anybody disagrees with me, please let me know. But I think that if that game had not occurred, Cliff, and we had not started playing full-time at Percival Molson Stadium in 98, we would not have a team today. I completely and unequivocally agree with that. Uh, it was it was a tumultuous time, folks. Uh, 1996, 1997, when the Alouettes relocated from Baltimore. <laughs> That's right, Baltimore. Back into the CFL, back into the fold. Uh, it was interesting, folks. It was an interesting time. And yes, uh, there was that uh, conundrum, I think is a great way to describe it, mm-hmm. of, you know, U2 had a concert scheduled. And let's face it, U2 at the time 
still one of, if not the biggest acts in the world. So if they want to take over a stadium that holds 60,000 plus, they're going to. And uh, if the Alouettes, who were playing at the Olympic Stadium at the time, uh, they got a game and U2 is like, well, screw you. <laughs> we got we got this first. So, uh, you know, sort yourselves out. And sure enough, the Alouettes did. There was a little bit of scrambling. And yeah, it's like, OK, let's go back to Percival Molson Stadium. I'm like, hold, hold on. Outdoor football in November. Oh, my gosh. I'm in. Let's do this. And and I, I still remember going to that game. Uh, I'm, I'm amazing myself here as a young lad, but going to that game. And I just remember it being electric. I'm like, they should do this all the time. They should have football played here all the time. And lo and behold, Tim, they did have start playing football there all the time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think it rekindled everybody's love for the Alouettes. Everybody realized, oh, crap, we've got a football team. And they're pretty good. They could maybe win a great cup one of these days. That's how good they are. I got to get tickets for this. I got to be a season season seat holder. Whatever whatever it takes. Like all of a sudden, Percival Molson Stadium became the place to be in Montreal. It didn't help that the Canadians, I think, were kind of going through one of their typical lulls as far as uh, relevance in in the sporting world of Quebec. Uh, The Expos were more or less in the same boat. So here comes this relatively new shiny toy in the Montreal Alouettes. And they're playing in the playoff game, and they're pretty good. So, yeah, it, it sparked that fire. It got people excited and thinking about Alouette's football again. And the rest, as they say, is history. Here we are now, 25 years later, getting ready for another playoff game to be played at Percival Wilson Stadium, which, thankfully, they poured money into. <laughs> it's not so dilapidated after all. No. still has a kind of, you know, it's, it's still not, like, you know, the, the modern sexy stadiums that you see like out in Saskatchewan or out in Winnipeg, but, uh, my God, is anything in Saskatchewan or Winnipeg actually sexy? Uh, well, uh, I'll, I'll have to get back to you on that. (laughs) Can we get a ruling somewhere else? (laughs) But Maybe, maybe the CFL can make that tally and then make, change their minds and make it again. Oh, the zing. Oh. <laughs> oh, somebody woke up and chose violence. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that in our news section this week, by the way, what, what I'm referencing. But yes, I just all, all this to say that, yes, uh, had you two not uh, kind of forced the Alouette's hand and made them relocate the Eastern semifinal game to personal Molson Stadium. Yeah, I think it's a pretty safe, safe pretty safe bet to say that I don't think we'd be doing this podcast because the Alouette's wouldn't be around mm-hmm. like. Maybe this would be like the Atlantic Schooners podcast. Who knows? Yeah. Or maybe we would have become the Ottawa podcast. Yeah, yeah. Who it, knows? It, and it, it's funny. <laughs> you're almost at, I think it was almost word for word because I spoke with uh, Coach Machocha today after practice. Um, I had a chance to head up to practice that was, that was over at Percival Molson today. And I asked him about that, and he he agreed with me too. He agreed with us, actually, uh, saying that, yeah, it is, it, it's almost, an, almost a certainty that we would not have football today. Pro football in Montreal today. If it wasn't, yeah, it was, if it wasn't for for you two and that whole thing that happened, yeah, because it just sparked everything. Really, when you think about it, like the fact that Montreal, like football in the province of Quebec, like whether you're talking about like at the grassroots level, uh, university, Sejep, mm-hmm. you name it. Uh, it wow, just well, yeah, would, exploded. Would, would, you, would you Laval actually with the Rouge, uh, uh, Rouge R, Would they exist? Would they have become the powerhouse that they are? Would UDM? Sherbrooke, huh? Exactly. Like, like you think about it. Like, uh, that really did light a fire. Like that, that created the buzz, the excitement. Uh, you think Laurent Duvernay Tardif would be winning a Super Bowl for the Kansas City Chiefs if he wasn't playing football at McGill because of 
being able to go to Alouette's games at Percival Wilson Stadium. I mean, it all starts somewhere, folks. And what it, that's really what it came, comes down to is here in Quebec, that moment in time the uh, with the, the relocation of that playoff game that revitalized the Alouettes and just created that love for football. And it just grew, like I said, like like wildfire. It it, it, it really is something. Mm-hmm. So props to you, too. Yo, yeah, yeah I agree. And also, this is another reason why I had tweeted out earlier in the week on social media that I hope. This was something that was a, a an Alouettes tradition every Sunday game that they, when the Alouettes had them at home. They need to play Sunday, Bloody Sunday in honor, you know, as an homage to you two, as a thank you for saving this franchise. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And I know the team, for whatever reason, has done away with playing country roads at the games, which is disappointing. And it, it's kind of funny to think that here I am disappointed not playing a country song at a football stadium. <laughs> but... <laughs> But yeah, I, I definitely think yes. Even though we haven't had a Sunday game in ages, I, I completely agree. You you have to you have to play Sunday Bloody Sunday mm-hmm. this coming Sunday at Percival Wilson Stadium for the the Eastern semifinal. Yep, and you for, have to. And for those who are wondering, they go, well, well, you know, what was what's the big deal? Why you know, uh, why you know, if you two had had not taken over the stadium, you know, would it wouldn't have been so bad playing at the Big O? Yes. That year, 1997 was was very when it came to attendance because of what 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 occurred in 1996 and and how the fans felt that Jim Sparrows had treated the season ticket holders that year. 97, it, you know, even though the Wet Nulls were already in, the, it, the attendance was abysmal for the Big O. I mean, dude, our high that year was 12,300 people. Our low was 6,700. Yeah. You do not want a playoff game in in a cavernous monstrosity that is the Big O. The, th- the 16,000 that showed up at Percival Molson Stadium st- was perfect. It started exactly what it needed to be. And yeah, so so the team returned, it's, you know, for the first time, I think, since the early 70s to Percival Molson. Mm-hmm. So, so, again, wh- if you guys are going to the game this week, just remember, because of you two, especially if they play that song, which I hope they do, that's why, no, you're, I- that's why we're here this week to watch the game at Percival Molson Stadium. Mm-hmm. The league came ahead. Some great announcements this week when it came to finalists and stuff like that. We'll be talking about that in our next segment, uh, in our news news segment. But first, obviously, even though it was a game that really didn't mean anything standings wise, I still think it meant a lot for the team itself and for the players. Uh, the Alouettes fi- finished off the 2022 regular season by playing the uh, Toronto Argonauts in Toronto uh, last Saturday, and they came away with a. A score, nonetheless, I would still say it was a convincing 38-33 win over the Toronto Argonauts. I would say so. And I'm glad you said meaningless in the standings because, yeah, it's easy to say that, okay, these games, all four of these games last weekend were, by and large, meaningless. And I guess to the average fan, it would be because it had no effect on the playoff picture. It had no effect on anything. It These truly were glorified preseason games. But you know what? It still meant something to guys that were chasing uh, individual records. If they were chasing uh, certain incentives for playing time or being able to reach certain benchmarks, so and also too, uh, the rookies that were finally were going to be given a chance to see actual game time as uh, some veterans were taking, uh, you know, the, the you know taking the day off or the week off, however you want to phrase it. This was their opportunity to show, like, hey, I should be. In this conversation, I should be a part of this team. I'm, I'm here to contribute if given the opportunity. Well, guess what? This is your opportunity. 
and you got to make the most of it. So if, for those guys, for these young hopefuls that may not be the superstars or household names that you expect them to be in 2022, two, three years down the road, they'll be looking back like, yeah, I remember I got my first start or I, I, I made that great play happen in that that last game of 2022. And maybe in two, three years, we'll be talking about, hey, remember back in 2022 when so-and-so did this? Look where he's gone now. Like, that's what it is. So to call these games meaningless is not accurate. Meaningless when it comes to the standings, yes, I'll give you that. But to say that these games are meaningless, no, not for these guys. Not for the not for the guys that are stepping on the field, whether they're veterans or rookies finally getting their chance to shine. Yes, yeah. these games are not quote unquote meaningless. Yep, yeah. and, and you know, you know, I, I I still like seeing a nine and nine record rather than an eight and ten. Yeah, uh, for the second year in a row, the Alouettes are even Steven when it comes to their their record. Yep. yep. So I mean, progress. Well, I'm, well, not really progress, but not regress. No, so, it's, it's still two more wins though. Status quo, and and yes. and we ended up in second. <laughs> also, two more losses, but <laughs> yeah, but, but still, we ended up in <laughs> second, we're, and we're still and we we're, and we're still hosting a game. So that's true. I mean, that's that's a big difference. Last year, the Alouettes kind of fell ass backwards into the playoffs yep, and uh, yep. just did not show up. Truthfully, they they really truly did not show up for the Eastern semifinal in Hamilton. No, but now they are hosting against Hamilton. <laughs> That's right, and we'll talk and we'll talk about that uh, in our last segment. Um, again, thirty eight thirty three was the final score. The Alouettes outscored the Argonauts twenty one seven in the in the first quarter alone. Dominic Davis, who really has not been getting many reps this year at all, he's basically been the third down back. And by the way, uh, or short yardage. Uh, back congratulations on setting the team record for uh, most rushing touchdowns by a quarterback in a season with 13 he surpassed Vernon Adams who set the record of 12 back in 2019 um mm-hmm. he was damn near perfect less for one interception he had one hell of a half oh my did he ever and to the point where even on twitter like just looking at uh, red blacks fans absolutely losing their minds because they had Dominique Davis and he was not great as a starting quarterback with the Red Blacks. Then all of a sudden he comes out and he's like the next Peyton Manning all of a sudden. And you're like, where the hell was this Dominique Davis when he was in Ottawa? Like, well, you had him. You just didn't know how to use him, I guess. Or perhaps he's just spent so much time on the bench soaking up all the knowledge of the quarterbacks before him that, yeah, when it was his time to to step onto the field and, and show what he can do, that's what he can do. So it, it was mind blowing just how crisp, how perfect his passes were. Uh, every aside from that one interception, of course, but uh, all of his other passes just looked terrific. Uh, the touchdowns he threw, oh. oh my, things of beauty. Yeah, Take, I, I mean, taking advantage of the offsides penalty on Toronto and throwing, uh, throwing the the first touchdown pass in the first quarter to uh, uh, the Coles speaker. Uh, who was also, uh, you know, starting his very first pro game, and obviously that was his very first pro touchdown. That that was a, a thing of beauty, and uh, yeah, it's you know, you know, people may say, well, you know, Tim and Cliff, you know, they were pe- they were playing, you know, not all the number ones for Toronto. Don't don't tell that to the other players. 
you know, the, mm-hmm. sure we can call this a, a it may have been a, a, a glorified preseason game, but this one was a little bit more than a preseason game. Well, I mean, it counts in the standings first and foremost. Well, yeah, and I think I think the, the rosters too, just alone by showing who was who rested and who didn't, because I will admit, you know, Chad Kelly put on a great on a great show for for Toronto too. So I mean, it's there was no slouch by him either. So um, no, he, he started off kind of uh, shaky, but once he got himself settled. Yeah, he he actually looked really solid, like to the point where if God forbid something were to happen to McLeod Bethel Thompson, like he could step in and he could lead, which is mm-hmm. has got to be a relief for Argos fans that, OK, I mean, like you you, you knew about the hype with this kid. Uh, I mean, the fact that he's uh, the nephew of Jim Kelly, uh, the famous Buffalo Bills quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he had that famous name to the point where a lot of people were actually kind of wishing that Rod Black was still around. So just they could remind us who Chad Kelly's uncle, uh, uncle is. <laughs> But no, he he did play a pretty solid game as well. Uh, I mean, again, like everybody else, made some mistakes, but uh, did some really solid work too. So I mean, yeah, like I think uh, with a little bit more seasoning, yeah, he he could find himself in the conversation as quarterback for this team two, three years down the road. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, let's talk about the um, let's talk about the guys who played really in the the starters, the normal starters, and stuff like that who played in the first half. Um, obviously, you know, Dominic Davis, uh, as, as we mentioned before, had a hell of a game. I mean, it was 13 of 14, 166 yards, uh, interception and two TDs. Um, just a fantastic day all around. I mean, and also he had that one, another rushing touchdown. That's the one that put him over the top for the, uh, for the record for the Alouettes, for the team record for the Alouettes. Um, I, even though they got four, only four carries, William Stanbeck actually did, impress me quite a bit because he he looks like he's he's becoming the uh the williams stanbeck of old and i can just imagine that if this team is if the alouettes team and o-line is completely different than it was last year in hamilton wow stanbeck fletcher you know this is what we you and i talked i remember specifically talking about last year about having a two-headed two-headed back uh system I can only imagine what it could be be like this week, but William, uh, William, uh, he, I said only four carries for twenty three yards, but he still impressed me. Yeah, no, it, I feel like he, I, I got a feeling that he's pretty much shaken off the rust now, like from he, that first game that he got injured to his comeback. He's, you know, I think this is now his third or fourth game back, so he's. I, I would say that he's pretty much got the rust shaken off now. So I think now he can focus. I think he's feeling good. He's feeling himself now. He he looks like he's ready to go. Like he's ready for the games that count. And I, I fully expect him to go off this Sunday. Like I, I think if uh, Trevor Harris is finding himself just not being able to connect with receivers for whatever reason, he knows he can go to that ground game. And he's got Stanback. He's got Fletcher. He's got Jeshwin Antwi. I mean, he's got a myriad of options in the backfield. And mm-hmm. I fully expect if things start going south for whatever reason, or it's just not clicking in the air, I fully expect him to lean on standback and just say, here you go, man, just take the rock and do your thing. And he will. I, I have a feeling Stanback, given the opportunity, is going to run roughshod over Hamilton if given the opportunity. Yeah, I, I think so too. Uh, also, uh, KGG uh, getting that, that touchdown late in the first quarter. Um, nice, nice little touchdown too. Yeah, no kidding, eh? I mean, it's... Uh, you know, a lot, a, a lot of the Canadians that played today too, really uh, on Sunday, really impressed me. So it's, um, and you think about it, like the, he was back in his hometown, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, I think he grew up in, uh, I want to say Brampton or Mississauga. So I mean, like in the Greater Toronto area, in any event. So uh, yeah, for for him to score a touchdown 
at home, so to speak, had been pretty cool. Had to be a good good feeling for him. And I've been saying for weeks, you've got to get K on in the offense a lot more. And this was the perfect opportunity. And once again, now you get to see what this guy can do. You get a he now becomes a part of that conversation, like in that already stacked wide receivers room. It's like, guys, give me the ball. I can do great things. And it's just a matter now of now Trevor's got to keep his eye open for number 11, because if he's out there and he's flying down the field, just got to hit him, hit him in stride. And he will make good things happen. And it was interesting, too, by the way, how the Alouettes, because uh, it came out after we did the taping last week. Um it was interesting to how the Alouettes set up their depth chart. I mean, they used tight. They moved Tyson over to the left side slot back, and they put uh, Cole Speaker at the right hand side slot back. And I was like, "Oh, that's that's an interesting twist." Mm-hmm. But it worked well. It worked well, obviously. I mean, it's uh, Cole did what he needed to do, and uh, um, you know, Tyson had had a good game too. Um, talking about first half, um, you know, the first half, Davis Alexander. Got his very first touchdown as a as a as an Alouette and as a pro. It was a uh, instead of it being Dominic Davis, it was him getting a one yard touchdown sneak. So and that yeah, was he the, he got his opportunity to be the short yardage guy, mm-hmm. and he he made the most of it. So yep, congrats congrats to Davis. Uh, you know, like I said, it's always exciting to score your first uh, professional touchdown, and now he can say that yes, he did that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we obviously we move into the second half and we'll, we'll bring everybody into the picture here um, you know Davis Alexander he actually had five carries for 22 yards a lot of that was on an, on an amazing uh, drive that he had in the second half where the Alouettes just were shooting themselves in the foot it was penalty it was back to back penalties they were first and 25 if I remember correctly I think it was first and 25 and on two straight plays Alexander was able to get them uh, back in, into into scoring, uh, you know, get back into the chance to score again uh, by one by a run and one by a pass, and it was just uh, he showed poise. You know, the you know you really can't look at his stats, but he really did show poise. Yeah, like unfortunately, a lot of his stats uh, were not super favorable. Let's be honest, but mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of it was okay. His first action. So I mean, what do you expect out of a rookie? I mean give him the first opportunity to play. He's going to do what he does. Rookie is going to rookie. But, you know, as you said, he he showed good poise. It didn't look like he was overwhelmed by anything. No, I think a lot of the, not at all. If, it, if anything, I think he was trying a little too hard to try and make certain plays happen, and that's why they didn't quite work out. I mean, again, not his fault. It's just you take a chance. If it works, you look great. If it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. His but interception. What are you going to do? His interception. Yeah. 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 And also to the uh, intentional grounding in the end zone, which unfortunately is a safety. And yeah, you know, again, these are just things that you, you kind of look back, and I'm pretty sure he's looked back on the tape and said, "Oh man, that yeah, okay, uh, next time that won't that won't that's not going to happen again." We've been watching him since day one in practice. Um, he's he's become another one of our day one guys, and mm-hmm. the guy's been absolutely amazing. So I mean, just to see him work, if because I think it was uh, it was Danny Mac. At the fan, uh, the fan day, where he said that Davis Alexander, you know, could be or is the the future quarterback for the Alouettes. I agree. After seeing, and I, yes, Tim, yes, Tim, it was during a, a meaningless game. Dude, don't tell it to them again. He looked, yeah. he, he looked really, really good. Even though he went eight of 13, eight, only 89 yards and an interception, but he did have the rushing touchdown. But still, I think he did look good. And he, he, he commended, uh, uh, he was able to lead this team quite well. And we got to see that for the most part this past Saturday. Yeah, he made mistakes. He made rookie mistakes. That's going to happen. I'm sure there's a couple of things he'd, he would have loved to have had back. But you know what? 
the good things that he did, as he said, the poise, uh, didn't panic when uh, the pocket collapsed around him. Like he just tucked the ball under his arm and went for a run. Uh, you know, had a good connect. Uh, I think he had good chemistry with his receivers for the most part. Uh, I said a, a lot of the things that didn't go quite right weren't entirely his fault. But at the same time, he still faced the music. Still got up and said, "You know what? There's a lot of things I need to work on. You know, these mistakes they're on me. I I got to be better, and I will be better. I mean." To me, that that's all you can ask from your quarterback or from anybody on this team playing their their first game. It's like, okay, you went out there, you learned, you got an opportunity to make the mistakes so you can learn from those mistakes, and you still managed to do some pretty good things too. I mean, you really can't ask for more than that for for a, a rookie in in their in their first professional football game, mm-hmm. and it's it's just going to make us want to see more, as far as I'm concerned. And I think this opportunity. Is not going to be his last. He's gonna he's gonna have an opportunity to play some more. Sure. And by the way, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention uh, the guys. Uh, everybody who had had was able to you know uh, put their name on the stat sheet this week. Jeshon Antwi led the team in rushing yards with fifty nine on eleven carries. Uh, Fletcher only had three carries for fifteen yards. Did did they limit his 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 touches this week? Because I know he didn't he didn't get a catch either. But I'm guessing they may have limited him like they did for Stanbeck. Um, I think so. I th- they were wise to do that. And, and by the way, I feel bad, by the way, again, Jeshwin, for the second year in a row, the dude fumbles in the last game of the year as they're in scoring position. <laughs> I, felt Frankly, so, though, I felt so bad for him. Yeah. Yeah, I had flashbacks to that game last year versus Ottawa for him, and I felt bad. I'm like, oh, Jeshwin. I mean yeah. – such such a good dude and mm-hmm. you see he he's worked so hard this year like he he's had he a is good year. very much he's had a really good year and yeah like uh, i really hope people don't just think of him as that guy the guy who fumbles late in season kind of thing i i hope not because he's not that guy he is as i said a hard worker uh, he's definitely a, a big part of this offense and uh again it was just just a bad day at the office in that sense i think overall though his his overall work was pretty good he did a to me, I, I think he he did what he needed to do to get himself ready for this game. And I, I expect him to see him get some touches as well this coming Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, KGG, four receptions, four targets, 55 yards, and a touchdown. Jeshon Antwi, three, rece- uh, three receptions, four targets, 20 yards. Stambic only had one. It was one for three. Uh, Cole Speaker, six receptions, seven targets. That one was the that other target, by the way, was it was a uh, was the interception. But he did lead the team in yards. So his very first game, Cliff, his very first 100 yard game had 105 yards and a touchdown. Tyson Philpott, uh, five receptions uh, on six targets, 47 yards, and lastly, Kevin Kaya, two receptions, five targets for 25 yards. Not bad, not bad at all, but. We also be remiss too if we didn't talk about the defense because yes, it's like Tim, aren't you missing seven points? Well, yes, yes, we are. Um, <laughs> we are missing seven points, aren't we, Cliff? Uh, well, actually, that technically can go to special teams. I know what you're referring true. to. True. Oh, sorry. True. Yeah. 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 But the defense did play very well too. Obviously, they uh, they got in uh, Chad Kelly's face and uh, made his day uh, a little bit long and a little bit tough. So. Uh, uh, like especially Chris Aki. Oh mm-hmm. my goodness. Yeah, but he, I, yeah, Aki, yeah, I know. It's some some of the guys that we really they, I said we still had some of our ones playing. Yep. So absolutely. I mean it's but you know, gotta give it to at least it wasn't a butt fumble, but Jabari Ellis, man. Woo! <laughs> nice. I, and it's so funny too, because it was coming off the heels essentially of the uh the kick return house call that the Argos made to start I off know. the second half. 
I know. So just when you're like all down in the dumps about special teams, like, oh, my God. OK, so fine. They're taking today off. Whatever. OK. Even though Chandler Worthy was doing pretty good with his returns, it seemed like the rest of the special teams kind of fell asleep at that uh, kick return touchdown by the Argos. But then Jabari Ellis went and woke everybody the F up with that unbelievable block and recovery in the end zone. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He ate his Wheaties that morning. Oh yeah, My yeah, goodness. yeah, yeah. No, it it was it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a it was a nice thing to say. I, I really I really admit. Um, uh, other quick things I think that are just as a standout um, is that um, second down. David, go ahead, Cliff. What are you going to say? I was going. Let's not forget David Cote. Yeah. A perfect one for one. Kind of uh, exhuming that uh, demon from. Uh, was it uh, week two or week three mm-hmm. when the Elwets played and could have won the game, but unfortunately he did not make that uh, 21-yard field goal Yeah, yeah. to win the game. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, yeah, I, th- I think in a small, small way he kind of redeemed himself. He kind of got that monkey off his back to say that, okay, well, listen, I can score field goals at BMO Field, no problem. So, yeah, so props to David for that. Yep. And remember how I've been harping on the last couple of weeks about second down conversions. Dude, how would you like to how would you like to go off on a on a 70% clip? Owls were 16 of 23 on second down conversions. That's beautiful. That's gorgeous. <laughs> And it's funny, you, you, for everyone making the argument, yeah, 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 but you were playing the twos and the threes of the Argos. Well, guess what? We were playing twos and threes ourselves, too. I mean, like, it's, you know, when it works, it works. I mean, that that's really what it comes down to. And, yeah, I mean, this this team, for by and large, we're, we're clicking on all cylinders. And by the way, two weeks in a row having a, two, having a penalty for too many men? What the hell? <sighs> That, that's it. Yeah, it's it's a little hard to defend that. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, the first one was really hard to defend, but the second, like, seriously, guys, yeah. like, like, uh, yeah. I mean, and again, what are you gonna do? What are yeah, you gonna do? Exactly. It, it is what it is. And again, still the Alouettes do win nine and nine on the regular season. Uh, I still think that it was a positive year, considering, um, you know, considering what happened in game one. And listen, I forget. There was a lot of moves made this year that drew a lot of attention, and some people were in favor of those moves. A lot of people were not in favor of these moves, and we pretty much said, listen, if these are the moves that have to be made, then so be it, but you better produce winning results. And 9-9, it's not losing, but not technically winning either. I mean, let's face it, this Alouette's team has been very fortunate to win the games they have and fortunate to have not lost the games that they've not lost. I mean, it's... This team still has to show itself. There's no question. Mm-hmm. And I think in a, in a lot of ways, I feel like they've they've hit their stride. I, I, I think they're, they're, they actually are playing pretty solid football. Is solid football going to be enough to beat Hamilton? Possibly. Is solid football going to be enough to beat Toronto? Maybe. But is solid football enough to beat whoever the, is going to be in the West? No. So now I think coasting and getting by on solid football was fine for the regular season you did what you had to do you secured the playoff game anything can happen in the playoffs we know this mm-hmm. but now is not the time to be playing solid football you need to be now playing your best possible football exactly exactly i agree and with this week is a gentleman who we are hoping that will he will become the the new uh, starting quarterback uh, for the montreal Wits in the near future on the phone with us right now is number 17 quarterback davis alexander hey davis thanks for joining us hey how you doing thank you for having me it's a pleasure for sure okay. um obviously it was great to see you on the field this time uh, in a regular season game this week davis um did, 
was there any different preparation that you went through for this game versus Toronto versus what you had done previously uh, during the regular season? Um, uh, you know, like, like I said, the boring answer is, uh, you know, you prepare for every game the same, but, um, I think, I mean, I think we all know, uh, definitely meant a little more to me, uh, you know, knowing that I was going to be able to, um, play, you know, in a regular season game. So, it, you know, slightly a little bit different preparation, I guess, but, uh, for the most part, you know, relatively the same, you know, covering all your reads and all your hot throws and all your, uh, bases and like that. But, uh, you know, just getting more reps in practice too. I guess that's part of preparation too. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you rate your performance? Cause I saw your post game interview that you did with Joey Alfieri. You took, responsibility for everything you know we we saw you play but how as you as a as a quarterback how did you feel that you performed uh, i mean <laughs> i wish you know I, honestly i wish i played a little better um you know i thought i played okay um i thought i was relatively pretty accurate with the ball you know i didn't feel like i missed many throws but um obviously i have the crucial uh crucial interception in the red zone um, where we're already, no matter what, you know, locked in for points. Mm-hmm. And I just made a play, the previous play before, on second and six to get us a first down. Uh, worst case scenario, you know, I just got to eat that and, uh, you know, move on to second and ten. You know, worst case scenario. Um, but, uh, and then the safety, um, you know, I got to find a way. I felt like I honestly got rid of the ball to the flat just to kind of dirt it, but, uh, obviously we uh, didn't get the call there. So I got called for the intentional grounding, but you know, that's something uh, just more experience and I got to find a way, you know, that can't happen. You know, I can't give away points no matter what the situation is. Um, pressure off the edge. I got to find a way to dirt it. But, uh, you know, I thought, uh, you know, I thought we sustained some long drives. Uh, I think that helped our defense out a lot. Um, you know, I think we had two drives over five minutes. Maybe I'm wrong, but I thought, I know we for sure have one. Um, but and then we had another drive down to the red zone. Uh, we had a little, uh, we had a fumble, but you know, I definitely thought I could have played better. Yeah, but I mean, you, you oh, did. Geez, Davis, so, you, if I didn't know any better, you, you were playing your first professional football game. Sheesh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't beat yourself yeah, up yeah, too much, for, man. <laughs> no, no, I know. But just, uh, you know, I, I hold my, I hold myself to a high standard and, um, you know, I, I expect nothing less from everybody else. You know, I want to be. Obviously, you know, it's going to take time and it, you know, it was my first game or whatever, but I'm not much of an excuses guy at all. So I just, you know, I'm going to critique myself as hard as possible and, you know, find a way to be better next time. Oh yeah, for sure. counts, man. It's just like, just, just taking advantage of the opportunities that you have and just learning from them. And that's really what it is. It's an opportunity to learn and to grow. For sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, a couple, you know, a couple a uh, couple throws I made, you know, I put them in maybe a little better spot. They're easier catches. And then we're looking at, you know, a totally different ball game. <laughs> but yeah, it's all good. Let's talk about something Happy positive for, positive for you, though. Well, let's let's talk about that. Your first career professional touchdown. It was on, a, you know, you you took you're basically taking the place of Dominic Davis because you were the short you were the uh, short yardage quarterback at that time, and you scored your touchdown. Now, my question to you is, where do you currently have that football? Oh, it's, uh, it's here in my room right now with me. Um, yeah, I'm going to obviously bring that home. I have not decided what I'm going to do with it yet. You know, I might uh, give it to one of my family members. I might keep it and stow it away. You know, I'm not really sure yet. I'm, 
I'm open to taking ideas too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, how did it make you feel? You know, being your first career touchdown. Yeah, it's definitely a special moment. Um, you know, it's it's kind of one of those things where it's like you know you you know you've worked. I don't want to say your whole life, but really your whole life for for moments like that. You know what I mean? And uh, uh, it meant something to me for sure. You know, it felt like uh, you know another milestone to check off, mm-hmm. but. Um, Wish I could have got a passive one yeah. too. <laughs> well, you'll, in, in time, in yeah, time. exactly. You have many opportunities, David, for sure, man. Um, speaking of yeah, lifetime, yeah, lifetime in football. I mean, uh, how how long have you been playing football? What got you into football originally? Oh, I've been playing since. Uh, so I started flag football when I was four uh, in Scottsdale, Arizona, um, and then I started tackle football. Oh boy, I think I was six years old in Oakland, California. Um, my, I was not very good. Uh, I was playing two years up. Uh, my mom actually, true. My mom faked my birth certificate, like made a fake birth certificate so I can play football early. And I was playing against guys two years older than me and I was just getting dominated. Um, I was playing like, Oh, lineman playing a little bit of safety. You know, at that age, they stick you anywhere. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, I, uh, I started at six years old tackle football. Scandalous! Wow. <laughs> yeah. Faking the birth certificate. I mean, good thing you're not playing little league baseball, man. That, that, that's some serious stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But usually it's the other way around, right? Usually they try and make you seem younger than you are. This one, my mom wanted to make me seem older. <laughs> this is true. This is true. <laughs> okay. Uh, what inspired you to become a quarterback? Uh, I would say like just seeing it on TV and playing video games, you know, everybody, you know, when you're playing Madden, you're, you're the quarterback, you know, um, like little stuff like that. And I, you know, I just, I'm, I'm a very competitive person. Um, you know, in baseball, I played shortstop. Uh, I didn't really play basketball. So, you know, the cliche answer would be point guard, but, uh, baseball, I played shortstop and pitcher, you know, I just always liked having the ball ball in your hands and you know it being on your shoulders um so but i would say definitely like you know seeing some of the stars on tv and you know playing playing madden and being the quarterback and being in control and seeing how fun it looked all right and uh when you got to uh, portland state university uh what was it about portland state that appealed to you as far as uh, wanting to progress and uh, grow your career in football yeah um the head coach there now uh bruce barnum um, when he was recruiting me, he was actually the interim head coach. Um, and they had a stellar year. I think they went nine and three. They went to the playoffs for the first time. And, um, in a long time, I don't remember the years, but they had a stellar year and just the, you know, the, the staff and the way they recruited me, you know, I could tell that they really cared about me. Um, it just felt like a, you know, a comfortable place. And, you know, I love the city. So that was another, uh, factor. And then, it was close to home, so my family could still watch. You know, it's only about a two-and-a-half-hour drive from Seattle. But it was far enough from home where it felt like, you know, I was I was out and, you know, I could do my own thing, you know. So it just all lined up and uh, just felt like a great uh, great spot to uh, begin my college career. And for our listeners who may not be too familiar with the Big Sky Conference, how would you best describe it? Uh, I mean – it's extremely competitive, you know, from top to bottom. Um, yeah, I'm sure every year, you know, there are some, uh, some familiar faces at the top, but every, you know, still every year you have one team that comes out of nowhere. 
uh, and finishes, you know, on that top four range and reaches the playoffs. So uh, you can't take any um, can't take any game for granted for sure. Um, I remember last year we went into Weber State. They're you know a high power in that conference, and I think we were mm, eighteen point underdogs or something like that. And we went in, and uh, I think we beat them like thirty one to fifteen. Uh, so it's just. Uh, it's one of those it's one of those deals where you know the, you don't play a bad team on the schedule. So pretty impressive. Yeah, very, very much so. When you and then finally, when when your time was done at Portland State, uh, obviously you still wanted to continue, you want to keep the dream going. You want to continue to play football. How did you find out about the Canadian Football League? Like, what led you essentially to coming to Montreal? Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's honestly you know, kind of a crazy story. Um, so. Actually, my fifth week of my senior season, um, I see I hyperextended my elbow and I tore my UCL, which is your Tommy John ligament, um, and I also fractured my elbow, a uh, avulsion fracture. Um, so they actually told me after the game we got an MRI, whatever. I finished the game after the game, got an MRI, uh, and you know they called me in. And, you know it's never a good sign. Doctor calls you in and. Um, you know, they were like, well, you, you know, you're not going to like this news. And my head coach was there too. And they're talking about like telling me to retire basically and, you know, start coaching and all this stuff. And I'm sitting there like, what? you know, like, what are you talking about? I'm not, not retiring. And then they went on to tell me, you know, you tore your UCL and I'm a baseball guy. Right. So, you know, I hear UCL Tommy John. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm done. Um, but then the part that confused me is I was able to finish the game, you know, without, you know, it hurt a little bit, but, uh, so I was like, you know what, um, just give me an opportunity and let, you know, let me see if I can play on this or, you know, whatever. So we basically went week to week, you know, I didn't practice every week and went week to week and, um, played on it and I was able to play pretty well. And then by the end of the year, uh, got another MRI on it just basically to clear me. Um, you know, so I can move on and try and play at the professional level. And it, they said that the scar tissue built itself back and is functioning as the UCL. So kind of a crazy story, you know, um, didn't think I'd be <laughs> honestly able to play, but here I am now with no issues. And anyway, so back to the question, uh, you know, my head coach had told me, cause we had scouts come through all the time, you know, NFL scouts, CFL scouts. And he had told me all the, um, that there were, a couple CFL teams that were uh, highly interested in me. He wouldn't tell me the names. Um, I'm going to guess Montreal was one of them, but um, wouldn't tell me the names. And I, you know, he asked me, you know, would you be interested? And I was like, Oh yeah, heck yeah. You know, of course, but, you know, I've watched CFL a little bit, not a whole lot, but I was definitely, you know, if it was on TV, I'd turn it on. Um, but, uh, and then kind of had the conversation of just totally foregoing, like trying to, get NFL looks um, uh, and just was like, you know what, I'm ready to, ready to go play in the CFL right away and just kind of get that knocked out of the way and no stress of, you know, trying to find to another team. So I uh, figured out, got an agent, figured out I'd been on Montreal's negotiation list for about a year. And then as soon as I figured that out, I kind of just told my agent, you know, let's, let's get a deal done and like to sign as soon as possible. And I ended up signing in uh, February. Wow. Nice and easy. <laughs> yeah, very quick. Too. Said, yeah. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, I'm just right now. I'm still trying to process the fact that your scar tissue has basically become your UCL. Like, 
are you Wolverine? Like, are, like your, your body's <laughs> able just to heal from injury? Well, yeah, I mean, I uh, honestly, it's, it's you know, I don't want to sound like that guy, but they, you know, they said you have one percent chance, and you know, I got lucky, and one percent here I am, and you know, I have no velocity issues, and my arm still feels the same, and you know, I can still lift the same. Like, I, I seriously, I mean, knock on wood, I, I, I there's nothing there, there's no issue. Wow, that's good genes, I guess. That's that's fantastic. <laughs> right, right. I got a feeling that Davis is going to be written up in, into a, in a, into a medical journal very soon about this. This that's just that, that's outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was awesome. <laughs> um, what what was it like? I and mean, obviously, you were signed by the Owls. You came to camp. Um, you know, you're a, a fresh out of university quarterback and you're getting used to the life of being a professional football player what was one of the first things that you noticed the most whether it had been about being a pro or whether being about the game itself that that really threw you for a loop the most oh man just i don't just camp life you know i'm I'm not gonna sit here and lie it's a nerve-wracking time um you know because you don't no one knows what their next step is you know after i mean maybe some people do i had no idea well, my next step would be, uh, you know, had I not made the football team or, you know, just what I was going to do next. Um, so it's just just seeing people come in and out. I'd say, you know, that's the thing that's, you know, thrown me a little bit for a loop. But, I, you know, I understand it's a business, but just that aspect of it, you know, and guys who had been on the team, you know, for X amount of years. And then next thing you know, they're uh, they're not they're no longer here with us, you know. So yeah. I think that part. uh definitely stood out to me but the camp life man that was stressful <laughs> um happy obviously with the way it all worked out but it was a it was a hell of an experience was it the one particular was it was it getting used to the new playbook i mean as fans you know we don't know how many plays are in the book itself and we don't want you to divulge it by the way um but we uh, you know what was it the playbook? Was it just I said more nerves as you just stated, or was it just the idea that you're going up? You're going up against. I mean, you had four guys in camp. Was it just the idea of saying, okay, I need where am I need where do I need to get in order to make the roster? Yeah, I mean that's definitely part of it. Um, playbook, you know that I to me the playbook's the easy part. Like if you put your time into it, you're going to be able. You you know it's going to take experience and <clears throat> excuse me, live reps and practice reps for you to really understand the playbook but you know every playbook is basically the same we all run the same concepts we all run you know it's obviously a little different the canadian game and the american game but relatively you know you can take pieces from the american game and bring here so the playbook's not you know not the most difficult part but just and i'm not like a pressure guy like i don't pressure doesn't really freak me out that much but it's just like you know you make one bad throw in camp and you're like, do the coaches think I suck? Like, did they totally just miss on me? You know what I mean? That type of deal. And obviously, you know, you never think that because your abilities have already taken you this far, but just, it sits in the very, very back of your mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Now you were in a quarterback room in training camp with guys like Vernon Adams, Jr., Trevor Harris, Dominic Davis. These are all guys that have played in the CFL for a number of years and had various levels of success did you find that you had to you were you able to lean on these guys to get uh, insight to the how to play in this canadian game or did you find you like you had to learn a lot of stuff on your own honestly um before i came um me and vernon had worked out before <clears throat> in seattle because he's, he's in the tacoma seattle area 
And I just wanted to see him and kind of introduce myself. <clears throat> and I worked out with him and he, you know, he was super helpful and just, you know, we're both big sky guys and we, you know, we kind of knew of each other. So that, that definitely made me feel a little more comfortable for sure. Um, but I would say during camp, you know, you just, you don't, as a rookie quarterback, this is how I was, and I, Ben was like this then, who was also with us. He was like this. He maybe talked a little more, but I was kind of taught, and my uh, understanding was, you know, kind of ask the veterans questions, but don't necessarily ask them questions during the meetings because we're all trying to get through this, and we're all trying to um, pick up right away, so you're not trying to stall the pace at all. So throughout camp, you're kind of like whispering on the side, like, hey, like, why, why are we doing this, or what are you thinking here? You know what I mean? And listening to Vernon, Dom and Trevor have conversations during film and all that, that's kind of where you needed to, you know, be most locked in and understand and try and pick up on the terminology they're using and why they're uh, doing some, you know, talking about some of the stuff they're saying. So that, that part was definitely key. So would you say that they were pretty helpful as far as at least getting you up to speed and getting you to understand the Canadian game? Oh, for sure. And uh, once the regular season started, like even more like, um, or preseason, I should say preseason, you know, preparing for preseason, uh, for sure. Helpful. And then this year, like even when BA was here, but being with Trev and Dom, like they've been so good to me. And I really do feel like I'm learning a ton from, from these guys. And, uh, it's exciting, you know, Trev, Trev and Dom, they're both, special talents and they're both truly students of the game so it's uh it's been a hell of an experience here that's fantastic then that's what that's what you want to hear knowing that you know like they say like a, a rising tide lifts all boats so i mean like you know you're only as good as your your weakest link so i mean like it's on them to help get you ready for this leagues because again as teammates you you're you're all in this together so you you, you want to make sure everybody is performing at the top level no doubt now let's talk about this preseason of uh, 2022 because that's where we—that's where a lot of fans finally got to hear the name Davis Alexander. Most specifically, in your two preseason games, you pretty much led some pretty exciting drives to finish each game. Yeah, uh, um, preseason was awesome. I mean, I've, you know, I'm, <laughs> I just is just one of the like, especially that Hamilton game. You know, I just I'm going out there and I'm like, you know what? It's, you know, this is my shot. You know, you know, you wouldn't want it any other way. You know what I mean? Um, game on the line down, uh, let's see, we were down seven, I believe. Down seven, uh, three minutes ago, I think we were on our own 30 or maybe on 40, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, it just, it was an opportunity to show the coaches that I could, you know, play and remain calm and uh, we were able to do it. And, and then getting the two-point conversion, that was awesome. Uh, I think they kind of got bailed out with it you know, a rough pass interference call. <laughs> um, but, and then the next week to be able to do it again, I think we were down nine. But yeah, I think we were down nine with uh, three minutes to go. And we were able to get a field goal. Defense gets a big two and out. Uh, we get the ball back, I believe, with like a minute 10 to go, go down and score, and with about 20 seconds to go. And that was a cool feeling. You know, I had a lot of people back home watching, uh, you know, my dad and all that, and ex-teammates and, um, just a cool moment. Um, you know, not much more you can ask for in a preseason game. No, just that was just. I, I still remember like, we were in the stands for that for that game, and just an absolute. You threw up an absolute prayer to Fabian Guerra, and just outstanding, just outstanding mm-hmm. sequence. I mean, you you nailed it right there. I mean, at that point, like we looked at each other, and like yeah, 
yeah, we got to keep this guy. He, there's no question in my mind. He, he's got to stay put. <laughs> yeah, no, it was awesome. What's it like being a, uh, obviously you made the roster, but this is, this is a part of behind the curtain that fans never see. You know, we, we may see these things that may have been, you know, fictionalized on TV or stuff like that, but w- what was it like and how were you told that you made the, uh, you made the Alouettes roster for 22? Yeah. Um, the, you know, it's about, yeah, I think the final cuts were made right after the game uh, or the day after the game. Correct. And, uh, we had a team meeting, you know, everyone was informed, um, team meeting at four o'clock, I believe, you know, at, in the locker room, mm-hmm. um, obviously there was cuts to be made. So everyone's kind of like, oh, all right. Uh, and then slowly, like as the day went by, uh, cause we're all staying in the Evo, uh, you kind of saw guys, you know, moving with their bags and stuff, you know, the sad part of it, uh, you know, got their suitcases and all like heading back. And then, you know, a couple of guys that I was friends with or became friends with on the team, uh, you know, kind of letting me know, hey, you know, I got the call, you know, I was cut. Um, so then, you know, as time went by, you're kind of like, well, no news is good news, right, in this case. Um, so then when we got to the stadium, uh, we had the team meeting. And then after, um, they brought a couple of us, uh, they asked a couple of us to go to uh, Danny's office. And then that was when figured out that we were on the team but uh practice squad but it was uh, uh i mean it was a moment you know you dream of every day and you know that's why i play football and you know i I'm genuinely you know kind of brought tears to my eyes like when i figured out that i made the team it reminded me of when i signed the contract um but i uh, just you know they told me um you know whatever i impressed them and um they'd really like to see me grow here you know behind vernon Trevor and Dom and their knowledge. And then you got, you know, the legend of Anthony Cavio uh, coaching. So, um, yeah, that was kind of the conversation. See, that's it. That's that's what we'd love to hear. It's just that, that hard work truly does pay off, doesn't it? For sure. Yeah, ask Cole Speaker. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, one, uh, obviously, you were in the practice roster for, for quite a few weeks, but was it the same? Did you have the same reaction when you were told that you're actually being activated to the uh, to the active roster? Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely. You know, that was definitely cool. And just being able, uh, just being able to suit up. But <clears throat> obviously, you know, you don't wish injury upon anybody. And when VA, you know, had the elbow injury, I was like, you know, shoot. You know, VA is my guy. So uh, I was like, man, that's, you know, it's unfortunate. But um you know, obviously he didn't make me feel bad about it. And he was like, man, it's a, it's a hell of an opportunity for you. And, uh, just that first game, you know, running out of the tunnel, um, it, it, that was another, you know, one of those moments where you're like, man, this is so cool. Uh, just brought chill, you know, obviously the preseason is a good atmosphere, but you know, nothing like a regular season game, you know? Um, so run out of the tunnel and just brought chills to me. And it was just like, man, this is, this is it. This is, this is what we do. This is what we do it for. Not to mention seeing your your name on the back of a jersey it has to be just such a trip. For sure, yeah. You know, and you know, you experience that in the preseason. That right there is. Yeah, it's actually funny because after the Hamilton game, you know, I didn't. You know, you never know. I just, I don't know how the cuts work or any of that. So after the Hamilton game, they asked us all to throw in our jerseys. And I actually kept my jersey just in case I was going to get cut, just so I could have the jersey with my <laughs> name on it. And then, um, like the next week, 
They're like, hey, do you still have your jersey? I was like, oh, yeah, I accidentally, you know, I accidentally put it in my backpack. I'm sorry. I gave him back to him. But, yeah, I was, I was not. If I was getting cut, I was keeping the jersey. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a bold strategy. They can't cut me if I have the jersey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just I wanted, you know, for the memories, for sure. <laughs> what about your number there, Davis? Because I think in preseason you had a different number than you switched to seventeen, if I'm not mistaken. In the in the regular, when you got the the actual spot on the practice roster, any significance behind either of the two numbers? Uh, yeah. So I wore six. Uh, they gave me six uh, when I first got here. Obviously, Darius Pickett is number six, um, so I couldn't keep it when I made the team. But um, six, uh, I wore six in college at Portland State. Um, my brother wore six in high school, so it's just kind of a cool coincidence. And, um, you know, my brother definitely inspired me and in the way he played the game. And, uh, it's just, it's just a cool little coincidence. So I just kept with six. And then when they asked me uh, a couple different numbers to choose from, and I just like 17, thought it looked all right. So I rolled with it. <laughs> no, no crazy significance behind 17. Okay. But, and there, just to let you know well, that, that there is actually, there is some history behind the number 17. It was a gentleman who played one hell of a defensive back, Billy Parker. He played, he was with the Alouettes for quite a few years. So, um, you know, it may have been to a defensive back, that you, the number that you currently have now, but still it's, there's still quite a, a lineage behind that number. Yeah. Nice. That's cool. I didn't know that. Not to mention Trevor wore 17 when he was traded to the Alouettes last season. That's so. true too. Yes. Yeah. He was going to give me his backpack. Uh, he had a 17 backup backpack, but obviously we got a new one. So, <laughs> uh, well, it, it's the thought that counts. <laughs> For sure. All right, Davis, we, we've talked about football with you, but let's talk about you personally. Like when you first came to Montreal, did you have any expectations about the city itself? Like what, what did you know about Montreal before you came to Alouette's training camp? Yeah, um, you know, I knew that it was, I knew it was like French Canadian based. Uh, I knew that, and maybe I'm wrong here, but I still think the primary language is French, correct? Correct. Yes. Fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I knew that. Um, and then I knew a uh, big hockey town um, just because, you know, I watch hockey and I knew the Montreal Canadiens and I know that they go crazy for them. Uh, and then I knew of the Montreal Expos, big baseball fan. <clears throat> and then I remembered, uh, that Johnny Manziel, I was a huge Johnny Manziel fan in college. I remember that Johnny was on the LOS for a little bit, but that, besides that, I knew it was also like a pretty big city and, you know, people have a lot of fun there. So I knew that. Uh, but besides that, you know, I, it's actually my, it was actually my first time ever in Canada. So I never didn't know that much, I guess. <laughs> well, and now you've got a great opportunity to learn that now that you're living here, now that you're, uh, you've had a chance to experience the city itself, uh, was there anything that really stood out to you as far like in what you've seen so far? Has anything really truly stood out to you? Oh, uh, I just I would just say the people. I mean, the people here are super like even with the it's not a crazy language barrier, but with the slight language barrier, like um, I just everyone's super friendly and everyone's always you know seems to be happy around here. And <laughs> also for how big of a city it is, it's extremely clean. Uh, you don't get that too often in the states, especially in Portland. Like when I was in Portland, it's. <laughs> Not the cleanest city, but that that stood out to me for sure. And just I'm, be clear, that is Portland, Oregon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, not, not, Portland, yeah, not, not Portland, Maine. Maine. <laughs> I mean, I'm surprised too, no. Davis, considering that you know you come to camp, you literally are thrown right to the French wolves, so to speak. You're not in Montreal, really. You're going to Trois Rivières, and obviously, uh, he, there's a you know more. There's a huge difference between uh, you know 
the nor- the farther northern north you get in Quebec versus Montreal. Did you have to lean on some of the French players or some of the guys that knew French already to to help you get around, or did the team say, "Here's a couple of things you do need to know," at least while you're at camp, and then when you get back to Montreal? Oh, I mean, it was you know I didn't even really try. I'm not gonna lie, I didn't even try to <laughs> understand what was going on. I was just you know cafeteria. Uh, cafeteria back to the dorm to practice to meetings like you know nothing I wasn't doing anything mm-hmm. so um, like even when we were trying to t- like figure out uh, like how to order s- certain stuff from the cafeteria we you know at some point I just had to point to some of the stuff but you know as uh, obviously as I got more comfortable um, you know I started asking it's like hey how do I say uh, you know so and so or whatever but no it was definitely a and honestly, I thought Trois-Rivières was like Montreal. Like, like I was like, is this what Montreal is going to be like? You know, very similar to that. And then, obviously, when we came back for the Ottawa preseason game, uh, I was like, yeah, uh, I'm in a completely different area. <laughs> exactly. There's a bit of bit of a difference. Yeah, <laughs> yeah huge difference. <laughs> and, and one thing we can say to you, Davis, is that, I mean, I'm sure you've, you've gotten a little bit more used to the French language as you've gone along and met a lot of the fans, stuff like that. And, and, we, and we, we've always said this to the to the players that we've interviewed, is that the just a little bit of French goes a long way, making a huge impression on the fans here in Montreal. Even if it's just as little as saying bonjour or comment ça va, as long as you show that you're going to make an effort and at least to try to speak to them in uh, in Fr- in French again, you'll make a huge impression on the fans, and and they'll remember you quite uh, quite well. So yeah, definitely that. Uh, definitely something that I want to work on a little bit in the off season. Um, I've thought about it <laughs> just because probably have a lot of time off in the off season. You know, just training and working out and stuff. But mm-hmm. definitely something. Definitely something that uh, take an extra look at. Yeah. For yeah, sure. there you go. Just fire up the fire up the Duolingo or the Rosetta Stone, wherever it is, and rush you know, <laughs> it. Could you imagine, Davis? You come back to your training camp in 2023, and right away to the the mostly French media, you go bonjour, and everybody, and just a couple of quick words in French. Everybody's gonna be blown away. Like, oh man, we gotta pay attention to this guy now. <laughs> oh yeah, especially yeah, especially. Uh, I think some of my teammates would die laughing, but you know, I gotta do it. <laughs> Uh, just like I said, food for thought. Yeah, food for thought. <laughs> exactly. Speak ass money. Speaking of food, Davis, we want to know what kind uh, of the restaurants that you've gone through here, you've gone to here in Montreal. Anything sort of caught your eye that you that is become a mainstay in your uh, with stuff that you eat? Uh, uh, people aren't going to like this one, but and maybe I just need suggestions. But I have not really been a fan of the poutine. Uh, I, I think, but to me, honestly, like the gravy and the cheese, it's awesome. But the fries are just a little different here. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's what's doing for me. But um, like any suggestions, seriously, I'll take them. Because I remember I said that, I think in one interview, and one of the fans on the field was like, you know, what the hell, Davis? You don't like poutine? I was like, hey, I just, maybe I haven't had the right one yet. Um, but uh, you know, I've, you can find any food here, which is something that I love. You know, I love all types of food, uh, Chinese, you know, I actually, I am looking for a Hawaiian spot, like a local mocha or anything like that. So if you have any suggestions there, let me know. But, um, yeah, for- I don't know if there's necessarily one spot that I've been to that kind of stood out. I mean, there's some really good sushi spots I've been to me and Tyson go all the time, but, um, yeah, Jiao, it's like a, in some place that's really good um yeah that's uh, i don't know if that 
that's a very good answer. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Because you know, and we, you know, players not have not necessarily liked Putin when they've tried it. You know, Cliff and I always say it depends on where you go and where you've had it at. Because you don't want to get a Putin from McDonald's. There's no way in hell you want to do that. You know, you want to go to some yeah. of the places like maybe a uh, a La Belle Provence, which makes a pretty good fast food. Um, Putin, but they're also the higher scale ones also, which I know, I know Cliff has, has mentioned before too, right, Cliff? Absolutely. And you know what, Davis, if, if need be, we will take you and get you a proper Putin so you can make a fair and honest assessment of it. And if you don't like it, you don't yeah. like it. But as far as I'm concerned, it, it really just comes down to the taste. You're absolutely right. There are some places where it's, it's all about the cheese, the sauce, the fries. I mean, it's all got to work in, in perfect harmony and maybe mm-hmm. Maybe that's what it is, is you just had a, a less than stellar one. So we're, we're going to fix that for you. We'll, we will help you out with that. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it for sure. Um, what do you do in your off time, Davis? I mean, it's uh, obviously besides studying the playbook and getting ready for uh, you know your next opponent. But what do you usually do to, to wind down? I mean, seriously, like I just I really watch sports a lot. Um, I got two TVs in my uh, in my room right now. I got my iPad. Uh, I got my phone, so sometimes I swear to y'all, I have four games going at once just to, you know, sit back, relax. Um, I actually do enjoy, like, going out to restaurants and stuff and just trying different things, you know, different experiences, meeting different people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, like, there's, like, uh, that's about it. I'm a huge sports fan. Like, genuinely could watch any sport in the world and somehow make fun of it. So, I'm sorry, make fun. Like, it being fun. Yeah, yeah. Fun. Have fun with it. Yeah. I, yeah. We, we get what you're putting down. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. So does that mean we'll, we'll possibly get a chance to see you at a Montreal Canadiens game before you, you head back home? Oh, I've I've gone. I went to opening night, and I went for my birthday. So I've already gone to two. Nice. Oh, geez. There you go. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, you're not kidding. You really you, you do enjoy hockey. And what did you think of the experience of the Montreal Canadiens, like seeing them live uh, here in Montreal? Oh, it was super cool. Uh, the opening night was a it was a hell of an experience, and it was a crazy game uh, versus Toronto. Um, but no, it was super fun. And then I went to the uh, let's see, they played. Um, I don't know. They were smacking them. It was like five zero going into the third period. Uh, oh gosh! Hey, you know what? They, it, uh, they Arizona. Won, they won anyways. That's all that matters. Arizona. Oh, yeah, it was Arizona. There you go. Okay. Um, yeah. But I went to that one, and I think the final was 5-1 or maybe 6-1. But, um, you know, the crowd's electric. Everyone has a good time. Uh, I mean, I can't tell you, like, <laughs> so many people were trying to buy me beers, like, and stuff. It was awesome. There's great people. There you go. It doesn't get, it doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. All right, Davis. We, we've obviously got a big game coming up this weekend. Uh, playing the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Uh, I, I know there's, there's so much history just this season alone, there's been so much history between these two teams. When it comes to game preparation, uh, what's the one thing you guys are looking at more than anything else? Uh, for this week, like in particular? Sorry. Yes. Um, let see. Trying to say without giving too much away, you know what I mean? <laughs> um Okay, well, let's let's switch it up then. Let's yeah. talk about the mindset. Like, obviously, it's winners go home, or I guess winners stay home. Uh, yeah. How do you approach that, knowing that okay, you are is you're the hometown team. You're you obviously got the advantage in that sense. But uh, how do you go, how are you guys approaching this game as far as knowing that you faced these guys before and you pretty much have to win to go on? Yeah, I mean, I you know, obviously, I'm a um, you know, people are going to say it's a high pressure situation and all that, but. 
I genuinely do feel like, you know, we're two practices in so far, one more practice tomorrow, you know, lighter practice tomorrow, but I genuinely feel like our intensity is as it should be uh, at its highest that it's ever been. Um, our focus is exactly where it needs to be at. Uh, and we're literally taking it one day at a time, um, not looking too far ahead, um, you know, not even looking too far ahead at the game. Like every day, you know, we're trying to win the day. It sounds corny. I get that, but it's, it's true. And that's truly what we preach this whole week of practice. Uh, and it's been awesome to see. And it's almost like, you know, we just hit a playoff switch mode and um, I'm excited for it. And then, you know, maybe to answer your last question, just uh, we've really touched on focus, like focusing in our playbooks, um, focusing on our assignments each play. Um, that's something that's really been um, hit on the head a bunch, I would say, particularly this week. I'm, I'm curious, when you talk about win the day, did that come from uh, Coach Calvillo? Um, no, um, just, just variety of guys on our team who have, uh, you know, made that, uh, made that a statement. Uh, I actually don't think I've heard, I don't think I've heard coach AC say that yet. Okay. I'm going to explain why, because back when the Alouettes won the back-to-back great cup championships in 2009, 2010, the theme of the team was win the day. And AC of course was the, the quarterback that helped right. the Alouettes win those two great cups. So I'm just wondering if he sort of is trying to impart that on you guys, like just thinking back to his championship experience here in Montreal and just wanting to, I guess, get you guys thinking that same way as well. Yeah, no, it, it, I'll tell you what AC has said a lot this week is earn the right to play next week. That's what uh, we've been hearing it since uh, last uh, in Toronto, you know, earn the right, earn the right, earn the right. You know, he's making sure that we understand that nothing's given, you know, especially in this league. But um, uh, we got to work for everything. And but it's all right out in front of us. You know what I mean? Wow. Wow. But a lot of our our leadership and a lot of our mottos for this week, it is truthfully, it's come from the players, which is uh, the sign of a great team. And, you know, we had a players only meeting. after we call it day, so not even the first day of practice, but the first day that we all reported. And uh, players only meeting, you know, a handful of guys stood up and talked. And, uh, yeah, it's just um, beautiful. It's, you know, there's nothing better than playoff football. So do it. From your lips to God's ears. I mean, you, you said it right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, Davis, man, we really appreciate your time, especially with the issue, the issues that you had to deal with tonight, with especially with me and the uh, uh, the technology issues. But um, uh, obviously, we wish you nothing but the best. We're glad to have you on the roster. I'm sure many other fans are are uh, agreeing with what we're saying because we saw the uh, you have something and uh, we saw it in camp, and obviously we saw it in, in your uh, when you were able to make your pro debut. And we hope you're here for for years to come. Obviously, um, if if Fans want to follow you anywhere on social media, man. How would they do so? Yeah, um, dude, I got Instagram, um, Davis Alexander 06. Um, honestly, I'm I try and be as interactive as possible with fans. Uh, literally, if anyone wants to chat or just you know to go out or anything like that, I try and respond. And uh, Twitter, it's Chavis Davis seven. Um, I'm not really on Twitter as much, but I'll, you know if anyone reaches out, I'm, um, I'm sure I'd respond and just yeah, anything to make anyone else's experience great as the fans have made my experience great here. Uh, even in the little time I've been here, you know, I feel the love and, um, I love, love these people. I love the city. And, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I'm excited. It's, uh, 
but uh, a lot of stuff that you know right in front of us right now so yes sir there you go that you said it all my man davis once again thank you so much for joining us best of luck this coming sunday you know we'll be in the stands cheering you on we want to see a win and we know you guys are going to do everything possible to make that happen and go on to the next round so best of luck to you and man just keep doing what you're doing because it's working obviously yes sir thank you guys so much for having me and uh don't hesitate to reach out you know for anything if you need me or whatever poutine whatever just let me know it's uh Oh, that'll happen. Don't you worry, man. Before before you head home, we, we will go get that Putsin. Bank on it. No, no doubt. Once again, I want to thank Davis for joining us. You know, as you know, we we're talking about how well he did, you know, in the season finale versus Toronto. But, you know, just after, you know, since we've talked with him, it, it just shows, uh, I think that, again, if he does become the next quarterback star for the Montreal Alouettes, I think we're in good hands. Oh, without question. I mean, it, it's so tough. I mean, like, how many quarterbacks has this team gone through since Anthony Calvillo hung up his pads? Too many. I think we're, yeah, <laughs> too many. That's a very good answer is too many. And unfortunately, as of this moment, Davis is unfortunately another name on that list. But now I think it's just going to come down to how bad does he want to be that name that stands out? Like, does he want to join that that group, that, that rarefied air of like a Vernon Adams or Jonathan Crompton and be a winning quarterback for this team that mm-hmm. stand makes everybody stand up and take notice and say, hey, that's my guy. That's the guy for the future. So th- this this time is coming for Davis Alexander. He, we got to see just a little taste of it this past Saturday. And I personally am excited to see what the future holds for this young man. And if that doesn't get you excited for 2023, folks. I don't know what will. Yeah. Um, the, the, as we're getting obviously now into the postseason of the CFL, this, the, uh, league itself has started to, uh, release the different lists for the awards and for stuff like that. And we mentioned last week, um, you know, when it came to who the Alouettes would have as their nominations, well, the league let us know who is going to be going to the finals. And we do have a couple of guys going to the finals, don't we, Cliff? Oh, we sure do. I think uh, I we, we had high hopes for pretty much everybody who was nominated. I think that's a fair assessment to say. And yep. you could even make the argument that every one of those Alouette nominees could have been a, a finalist, like an Eastern finalist. But we, I think we knew deep down that not every single one of them were going to be. However, the Alouettes are sending to Regina for the CFL Awards not one, not two, but three Eastern nominees for most outstanding awards. Uh, first and foremost, top of the list, right away, the Eastern nominee for most outstanding player is none other than Eugene Lewis. Without question. Without, without question. Without question. Yeah, without question. I mean, we, we, we spent so many episodes extolling the virtues of this man, uh, of what he can do on the field. And the year he's had has been nothing short of outstanding. So, yeah, he's in tough because he's going up against Zach Caleros, who had a pretty damn good year himself, too. Mm-hmm. And is the defending most outstanding player from last season looking to repeat, not just going back to the Great Cup and possibly winning it, but he's looking to be a two-time MOP. Standing in his way, though, is Eugene Lewis. Are the are the voters going to see Eugene's outstanding accomplishments more so than they would Zach Caleros? Because we kind of expect that out of him, whereas Eugene really came alive this season. 
only time's going to tell. But I tell you what, it's just incredible and outstanding to think that Eugene Lewis is the out, not just the Alouettes nominee for most outstanding player, but the entire Eastern Division nominee. Yep, and that's uh, tremendous. And yes, and this this is how somebody put it to me today after after practice uh, when it comes to this particular uh, you know nomination. It is for the most outstanding player, not for the most valuable player. Right. And I, I would, I would again, we don't know how this is going to turn out, but I think Eugene has a very good chance at being named the uh, uh, the most outstanding player in the CFL. Absolutely. And that's not biased. That's not biased. Just by it, it's just based on what we've seen Eugene do this year. Yeah, and and that's no knock on Zach Caleros either, because as I said, he also too had a very outstanding year. I mean, you can make an argument for either one of these guys. You could almost make an argument to split the award in two and give <laughs> make them co-winners. But watch that happen. I've seen it happen before. Watch it happen. Well, I mean, listen. If if there's a year to do it, this would be the one. Because as I said, you can you can certainly can make an argument for either one of these gentlemen. They they both had pretty outstanding campaigns. Let's not. Uh, I'm going to make a joke again. Let's not have. A, let's, hopefully, it won't. There won't be a tie, and then it'll be a recall. Anyways, oh. we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. As yeah. second player, um, I, I don't think there's any any surprise at all, Cliff, that the Eastern Division mo- a, a nominee for the most outstanding special teams player is Chandler Worthy. No surprise there whatsoever. Not even a little. I mean, as, as we said last week, uh, when they said it was uh, Chandler Worthy as the most outstanding special teams player, Alouette's like the Alouette's choice for most. High. And I said you can almost make the argument for David Cote. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, just with what Chandler has done this year, I mean, it truly is spectacular. I mean, so spectacular that they ended up trading the returner from training camp to the Saskatchewan Roughriders. And wouldn't you know it, Tim? <laughs> that man, Mario Alford, I know. who was traded because Chandler Worthy was doing such an amazing job for the Alouettes that he became expendable and got traded to the Saskatchewan Roughriders. And you know what? Mario Alford himself is the Western I know. nominee that's, for most outstanding that's special nuts. teams player. That's nuts. And I've already reached out, by the way, to Steve Daniel, the CFL stats guru. First, I yeah, basically is... He's going up against the team that traded him, up against mm-hmm. the guy who, quote unquote, took his job. Yep. And also, is he the first player to be uh, the, uh, to uh, be nominated as the Western uh, finalist to have been traded in that same season? And if he wins, would he become the first guy to have to win it after have being been traded? But we hope that's not the case because. Chandler, this one I think is going to be the tightest of them all because I think Chandler, Chandler, I, in my opinion right now, I think he 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 is uh, one step higher than Mario at the moment. Yeah, and it could be buoyed by the fact that Chandler is going to play at least one more game than what Alfred is as far as like regular season goes. But uh, my gosh, I mean, like both of these guys were just outstanding electric returners. Oh, I and know. Just, it's incredible to think that <laughs> at one point both of them were in Montreal Alouette's camp. Mm-hmm. That that still blows my mind. That we we could afford to give away such a talent that <laughs> they would be nominated by their new team and then nominated by an entire division. That that's just incredible. That just speaks to the talent of both of these gentlemen. To, to tell you the truth, it makes you wonder if Super Mario had not been hurt this year and then been traded, how it w- would have ended up. But anyways, it's you know. Sure, there's revisionist history, but you know, there's no, there's no really no need in looking back at it when it comes to this type of thing. But uh, yeah. you mentioned no, it's, it's 
it, it's it's pretty outstanding. And again, hence most outstanding yes, players. Yes, sir. <laughs> now, by the so. way, you mentioned that we didn't have two, but we had three nominees that are that are representing the East this year. Who's the third? Oh, we sure do have three. And we talked about it with him when he was a, a guest here on the Alouette's flight deck recently. Uh, the most outstanding rookie nominee for the Eastern Division is none other than Alouette's rookie sensation, Tyson Philpott. We called our shot. We said, don't be surprised if this kid gets nominated, not just for the Alouette's nominee as most outstanding rookie, but the entire Eastern Division. And lo and behold, here he sits going to Regina as the nominee for the East for most outstanding rookie. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we, and we've, we've talked about what an impact he's made on this team. Uh, having him on the show, you, you got to hear his story. You got to hear everything about him and just the way he approaches this game, the, the way he comes ready to work and ready to shine. And that's what he does. I mean, like whether it's on, you know, kick returns or just now as a starting slot back for the Alouettes. Uh, I mean, like he has just been, he's come as advertised. Let me tell you, like oh, both he and his, for sure. Both he and his brother Jalen have had pretty solid rookie campaigns this year, but uh, clearly Tyson has proven that he is on another level. And as we said, he's just, we haven't scratched the surface with this guy. Like this is his first year, first of many to come in this league. I mean, this kid is a bonafide superstar in the making and, Obviously, the CFL agrees because for the entire Eastern Division, he's their guy. Now, yeah, that being I'm about said, to say, now that being said, <laughs> he is up against Dalton Sean of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and he has had a truly, truly outstanding season for the Blue Bombers. Uh, believe me, nothing would make me happier to see Tyson walk away with this award, but man, is he in tough. I, mm-hmm. That's all I'm going to say. I Out of all three awards, I agree with you. Oh, sorry, all three nominees, I agree. You can certainly make an argument for all three of these guys being able to win their respective rewards, and I don't think anybody would walk away upset or disappointed. But, man, I mean, Tyson had a phenomenal year. There's no question about that. But Dalton Sean, he he did just that. He shone this year for the, <laughs> for, the, for the Blue Bombers. I mean, he was just making outstanding catches. He was such an integral part of the Blue Bomber offense. He shone bright. He shone bright. He shone bright. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, so, I mean, it's, it's funny to think about the fact that uh, Dalton Sean and Zach Caleros connected for touchdowns this year, and now they're both going to be nominees and could both possibly walk away with with the hardware for for Eugene Lewis, for Chandler Worthy, and for Tyson Philpot to get those Eastern nods, knowing full well that no matter what happens, they'll be going to Regina, and they could be walking home with some hardware. Yeah. is pretty outstanding. And I sincerely hope all three of these guys go there get the award, come home, and be able to say, yeah, I was that guy in 2022. Mm -hmm. I agree. And good luck to all the guys, obviously. I think we can come away with two, in my opinion, at most two, you know, most outstanding players uh, in their position in the CFL. We'll see what happens uh, come the 17th. The league at 1230, it was about 1230-ish or so, uh, when the league originally put out uh, their first listing of all stars for the all stars. Yeah, originally it was only listed as Eugene Lewis and Najee Murray. Well, it was it, it started making the rounds uh, with some of the reporters in Canada uh, that th- some 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 there's a little some some going wrong, and so there was a backtrack, a recall, a 
recount, that was what I was joking about earlier before, mm-hmm. um, enough so that everything was wiped from the CFL website, including the, all the tweets and stuff like that, and then the message and the statement from the league. Earlier today, the CFL issued a news release announcing this year's East and West Division All-Stars, which were voted on by the coaches, the media, and fans. It says a subsequent examination has revealed that an error was made in the tabulation and and weighting of votes, which resulted in errors in the release. The CFL offers its sincere apologies to everyone involved, especially the players who were incorrectly announced as All-Stars or incorrectly left off the list. We have also issued an apology to the Canadian Football League Players Association. The responsible for this mistake rests solely on the CFL and not those who cast ballots or the CFLPA. We also want to apologize to our fans for this unacceptable error and and a, uh, a correct list will be issued shortly. Now, when this came out, Cliff, you see some analogies which were utterly ridiculous. You know, one saying this was just as bad as when Ottawa uh, drafted somebody who, uh, a player who had already passed away. Uh, some were saying that this was, uh, I think they're, they're just blowing it out of way out of proportion. Is this a bad look? Yes. But I think in my thought, before we announce who, who the Owls, who, which Owls made the list, the final list, is that. The one v- v- variable this year that was different from years past was that they actually added the fan vote into this. And they were talking about, you know, they use it specifically in their actual statement before they talk about weighting of votes. This is where I think that that whole issue occurred. I think there was a huge error in the amount with the votes that came in and the players who were, uh, who were chosen by the fans. The, the waiting was too high. And I don't think they ever announced, because obviously the CFL was running a contest to win, I think it was 5000 bucks. Yep. Uh, um, they, I don't think they ever said what the waiting was for fan votes. And I think this is what caused the problem. That's why they had to retabulate these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no question. It, it definitely was a bad look to uh, you know how, how this all sort of unfolded. And it's easy to lay blame on so many things. The CFL did actually step forward, though, like you said, and yeah, pretty much t- took ownership of it, 100%. saying it was on, yeah. on them, which was, uh, let's face it, that was the only move they could have made. Because trying to backtalk your way out of this or justify or what have you just would have made a bad situation even worse. I mean, this was, look, I mean... Especially to letting fans vote, I mean that kind of that will always kind of skew things because then it turns into a popularity contest. And then, yeah, the unfortunately now the CFL with egg on their face pretty much has to come back and say, you know what? Yeah, we're we, we fudged up somewhere. We're yeah. not sure, you know, like they they obviously didn't go into details, but yeah, they made a mistake. They're in the process of correcting it, and they re-released the list. And all that to say, we the Alouettes went from two players to four. On the all on the Eastern All Star team, Eugene Lewis, his third selection, offensive lineman Landon Rice, his second selection, Wesley Sutton, a defensive back, his first selection, and Chandler Worthy, returner, in his first selection. Mm-hmm. There have been a lot of people who are looking just at Wesley Sutton as being the uh, you know, choice, and I want you. I know you, like I said, I know you're, you're a lot better when it comes to players and stuff like that, but I want you to tell people who are questioning why should Wesley Sutton be an all-star? Well, what would you say back to them? Look at the progression he's done this year. I mean, especially earlier this year, we were kind of giving him the gears because there's a, a lot of elementary plays that he just wasn't making to the point where like, we were even wondering like, what, does, does this guy even football? Because 
some of the the, the, the moves he made were just <laughs> DPIs, uh, just unfortunate penalties that just you think, okay, like I wouldn't accept this from a college player, and I'm expected to handle this from a professional. Hello, like this doesn't add up either. Right. Like, it, it, but to his credit, he owned it. He realized I've got to get better. I've got to be better. And my God, did he worked his ass off this year yep. to improve himself to the point where he actually truly has become one of the studs in this uh, Alouette's defense. Like, uh, uh, honestly, goodness, uh, like to the point where I'm actually a little surprised that it was a Darius Pickett who was uh, given the nod for most outstanding yeah. defensive player. Yeah. But both those guys, I would even go so far as to say like 1A and 1B when it came to outstanding defensive players. You could have made an argument for either one of them. Would, and just so would happened you that, call Darius being one of the snubs that you would that you would say? Yeah, because how do you how do you make him the? I, I know it's a team that picks their own nominees as far as uh, for the awards go. And obviously Adarius was not in consideration for the most outstanding defensive player for the league, for the Eastern, not the Eastern division. But I mean, Adarius Pickett had a, a pretty fantastic year, but Wesley Sutton, I'd say is neck and neck with him as far as outstanding contributions to this team. And to me, like I, I'm very happy that Wesley Sutton was given the nod because yeah, he, he truly worked for it. Like He really has improved himself by leaps and bounds. He is not the same player he was back in July and August. Mm-hmm. Like he He's become a force on this defense. He really, truly has. You even got to see a little bit of it this week uh, against Toronto. Like he, he had a couple of pretty outstanding plays when, yep. you, when you look at it. Like, mm-hmm. And just consistently, every game he seems to be there. Like Whether it's a sack, whether it's a, a fumble recovery or a forced fumble... Or just making some sort of outstanding play, like you see number thirty-seven there. Like he's the one that's in the mix. Like he's either making the play happen or he's a part of making that play happen. Uh, he is truly like he truly does deserve that all-star nod. There's no question about it in my mind. He really is that player. And again, one of those guys that uh, he's gotten so much better, and I think will continue to get better as his career in the CFL goes. And I, I couldn't be happier for him. He he really has. He's won me over big time. Like I said, we were kind of concerned at first with him, but I think he put those doubts to rest. And it's just simple matter of going out, do your job, and do it properly. And that's exactly right. what Wesley Sutton has done is the second half of the season. Like he really has become that guy and done an, ex- an outstanding job. And yeah, this this award, this uh, All Star nomination is definitely well deserved for sure. And one last question before we go to the preview for the game this week. Uh, is there any other play that you felt that uh, on the Alouettes that got snubbed? Uh, you know, I, we're talking about da- uh, David Cote. He could have been, I think he could have been easily been an all-star also, but um, I'm trying to think of any other players that were on the team itself. But I mean, other than Cote, I can't think of any others yourself. Uh, I, I would not have been mad at all. Especially to like when you think about the kickers this league in the Eastern Division. I mean, you got uh, Boris Bede, Lewis Ward, uh, Seth Small for uh, Hamilton. Mm-hmm. I mean, all those guys had very solid campaigns this year. And Cote, definitely, I, I'd put him up against those guys. And I, I could definitely make a case for him to be nominated for an all star submission. Uh, as far as other players go, uh, honestly, uh, anyone on that defensive line. You, you could have made an argument for uh, Nick Usher, for example. I mean, before he got hurt, like, he was playing some pretty outstanding football, too. Uh, Mike Moore, uh, the first part of the season, looked absolutely dominant. Uh, kind of slowed a little bit. Uh, past couple of games, he's just been, you know, he, he's contributed, but not really been outstanding. So maybe that that's 
that that star's kind of uh, gone down just a little bit, but not to take away anything away from his overall body of work. But I mean, pretty much anyone on that off the, the defensive line for the Alouettes, you could make an honest to goodness case for. Uh, to me, I think Usher has been the the, st- the straw that stirred the drink for the most part until he got hurt. Uh, but this line just makes outstanding plays happen, and I'm a little surprised at not, at least one of these guys didn't get the nod. I'm I'm so glad that Landon Rice got the nomination, you know, to sort of represent his guys on the offensive line, mm-hmm. and that was definitely well deserved. But I'm really surprised that somebody on the defensive line didn't even get a look. So yeah, I guess Cote and let's say Usher. I'm I'm really surprised weren't uh, given any consideration for the uh, right. all-star team. Okay. A uh, final counts, by the way, East all-stars uh, most uh, went to Hamilton with 11. And after the recalculation, the team with the most division all-stars in the West were the Calgary Stampeders also with 11, 12 mm-hmm. national players and two globals were also included. Um, Okay, you brought it up. I'm going to mention it. So we're, so we're going to start off about it. And you were very surprised because I said I went to camp, I went to practice today, and then it was listed on the uh, on the practice report. Dude, Nick Usher practiced full time. He it looks like he will be playing after what we saw happen to him a, a couple weeks ago. I don't think either of us expected him to play in this game versus Hamilton. Nope. And this is what you call folks pulling out all the stops, and you want to win this game. I mean, it, it really is win or stay home for the Alouettes. So, mm-hmm. and I think Nick too wants to be a part of this. He he wants to be he wants to go on this great cup run. And if if he's healthy, if he's if he's ready to go, like I said, I just finished talking up this guy. Like he is definitely a force, and he definitely can be a, a major presence, especially too going up against Hamilton. And whether it's uh, Dane Evans or Matthew Schiltz at quarterback, if he's got a chance to hunt either one of those guys down, or possibly even both, if they both play in the game. If he has has the opportunity, he's going to make the most of it. And having knowing that he's back practicing and looking to possibly even play this coming Sunday, yeah, that's amazing. I mean, especially to the injury that he suffered. Uh, yeah, we we truly thought he was going to be finished. This I thought year, he but. was done. I will. Yeah, I will. I thought he was done. And you bring up a very good point too. We, you know, right now it looks to be Dane Evans. We saw what happened to Dane Evans two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. You know, him 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 hurting. I think it was his throwing hand. Yep. Um, so and, we don't know. I forget we've already we've already seen Matthew Schultz play here yeah. for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, yeah. uh, and we've well we've also seen Dan Evans play too. Yeah, yeah, so, it's true. I mean, it's, it's true. Um, but I, I mean, like both quarterbacks can give this Alouette team fits. But by that same token, this defense they know these two quarterbacks very well too, and you better believe they're going to be throwing everything and the kitchen sink at these two guys, and they're going to make it for a very long day for the, for both these quarterbacks. That, that much I can guarantee. This defense, I think, is going to be even more dialed in, and I think we're going to see a lot of pressure. I think we're going to see both Schultz and Evans having to run and have to be extremely creative to try and move the ball downfield. To me, I think this uh, this defense, if they're fired up, and I have a feeling they will be, I think that could very well be the key for this uh, this matchup uh, on Sunday. I'm going to just get the numbers out of the way real quick. Uh, versus Hamilton in the Eastern semifinal. Uh, at home, the Alouettes are three and two in their history versus versus Hamilton. Um, they have not won versus Hamilton in the playoffs. So that, oh, they haven't won a playoff game since 2014, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, the Alouettes are given the home favorite. They're currently favored by three points by uh, by uh, five dimes with an over under of 48 and a half as if we speak. Um, this. This is the big question here, Cliff. 
And we kind of alluded to it at the very beginning when we were talking about uh, about the lineup and with Stanbeck banging in it and what type of team this is. This is the second year in a row that we're going to have uh, the Isles go up against Hamilton. This is the second year in a row that we're going to have Trevor Harris being our starting quarterback. But there are some differences. Obviously, we're at home, and there's a huge difference in this lineup. For those of you who do not remember, Eastern semifinal last year, even though he balled out, Geno Lewis was not 100%. I'll say he was at least 50. Yep. He was not doing well. And obviously, Stambeck didn't do that well with the, you know, even though we did have a one-two running back combo last year, we have a different one-two running back and potentially a one-two-three running back combo this year, too. Mm-hmm. So the depth chart is going to be very a very interesting thing to look at. I wouldn't I would not be surprised if it's no different than what it was, uh, and uh, if it's almost identical than what it was versus uh, the first game versus Toronto and Montreal, less with the addition of Nick Usher. Right. Um, this is going to be a different game. We are going to potentially be anywhere between nineteen and twenty two degrees in November at home, sunny. Looks like there's going to be no rain uh, except some rain in the morning. If it's still, if it holds true, this is a different team that played last year. But the thing is they need to be able to win this game. That's the big hump that the Alouettes have not been able to do since they, since they, you know, since 2014 and then they got garbage. You know, we had a, that fantastic run in 2019. We know what happened. We you know the, the, the few mistakes that VA made in that, in that playoff game, you know, uh, the amazing game by Trevor Harris when he was the quarterback as the, for the Edmonton Elks. We need, and we've been stressing this too. We need, to, we need to have the Trevor Harris show up from 2019 that can also can can do exactly what Dominic Davis did this past week versus Toronto. Without question, I, I, think, mean, I think I think you've mentioned. I think he started off. Trevor started off. I think it was like 17 of 17, something something like that back yeah, in 2019, was, whatever it was. it was. It was surgical his performance. Yeah, like he he carved up this Alouettes the Alouettes defense, which let's not forget was a pretty outstanding defense too. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, the the Alouettes were more known for more of the high powered offense led by Vernon Adams, but this the defense was nothing to sneeze at either. And Trevor just straight up dummied them. I mean, they had no answer for him. Like, even though he had stated in interviews and even stated it recently uh, as a reminder, like how loud it was at Percival Molson that game that he lost his voice just trying to scream out his uh, his play calls to his uh, his his his, uh, his teammates. So he knows how big this game is. He knows the importance of this game. And I think he knows the pressure is on him to be able to replicate that performance this time for the Alouettes. That's massive right now. So, mm-hmm. but believe it or not, I actually think he's up for it. I think he knows the importance of this. He knows, like last year, I think the Alouettes were kind of just happy to be there. As I said, they kind of stumbled in ass backwards into the playoffs, and I got the impression they were just happy to be there. They're happy just to be included in the great to have that one extra game that the uh, you know the other teams didn't have. Right. I think this year has shown that this team wants to win. This team believes in itself and we we keep hearing stories about how this locker room is so strong and how they these guys really truly do have each other's backs and i think they realize okay we we belong in the conversation we we belong here in the playoffs we're good enough to beat hamilton we're good enough to beat toronto hell we're good enough to beat anyone out west that's the mindset they've got right now i think and i i think they need to take that with them and they've got to be able to prove it and they know they have to prove it because as as we've said it's all well and good to you know, say that you've got all this talent. You've got 
the right pieces in place. Now you got to show it because, as I said, solid football is not going to win the Grey Cup. You might you might get lucky and get by Hamilton with solid football on Sunday, but wouldn't it be better if you could have like a convincing victory, like where you can just go and smack your opponent in the face repeatedly and show that hey, we are who we say we are. We are that team that can be the surprise. We we can we can show that this is not the CFL least. We are that team, and we will go to the Great Cup. And the first step is by beating Hamilton and really, truly showing the fans here in Montreal, like this is the team that that this organization has said that they're going to be. Uh, let's not forget Gary Stern, the minority owner of the Alouettes, has been once again pumping this team's tires, and he's he's so he has so much belief in this team, and he he's saying all the right things when it comes to getting people fired up and getting them excited. But th- truthfully, the team has to deliver. It, it, it's all well and good to say all these great things and everything like that, but you got to bring it on the field. That's really, truly what it comes down to is you've got to be able to back up all this talk and stats aren't going to do it. They don't give the great cup to the team with the best stats. You got to go out and you got to win. You got to put more points on the board. You got to set the tone early. And I think if Montreal can do that, and that's something that they've been lacking. These first halves have just been mediocre at best, atrocious at worst when it comes to their on-field performance. But somehow they make the adjustments in the second half and they come alive. I would really prefer this team come alive in the first half and stay alive, like really set the tone early yeah, and have Hamilton chasing them constantly and just really just put the, put the floor, the foot down on the floor, step on their neck and stay there. Like that's, that, right. that's the attitude you got to have. You got to, you got to be able to show dominance and prove that you are that team. Do and as, I, do as the Alouettes did back in, and back in that Eastern semifinal at Percival Molson versus BC. Do exactly what they did there. You're talking about in 2014. No, no, no. No, I'm saying, I mean, if we, if we want to tie this whole thing together, 25th anniversary of the U2 game, do exactly what they did back in 97. Okay, yes. Yeah, Score 41 folks. points in the sec- first half. Do what you, you need, Do what you need to do. Yeah, that that's really what it comes down to. It, 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 and, and you know what? I think this team could do that. I, I think they have the weapons in place to do it. I think they got guys that want to do it bad enough. It's not just a simple matter of go out and do it. It's it's all about execution now at this point. You know what you have in this team. You know what the what you know what your quarterback is. You know what your running backs are. You know what your receivers are. You know what this offense is and this defense. You know exactly who's going to be taking the field on Sunday. And it's just a matter of who wants it more. Mm-hmm. And I have to believe if, if Montreal is going to walk out of the, Percival Molson with the win in order to go to Toronto, they really truly have to. They got to be in that. They can't be complacent. They cannot just coast by and hope that, you know, Hamilton trips on their own toes. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think Hamilton is the, the, the Hamilton team we've seen over the past three, four five weeks has not been that team. Like they have managed to put themselves together. They, the, things were kind of scary for a while in Hamilton, but I think this team has really rebounded. I'll go even so far as to say maybe they truly are the hottest team in the CFL as of this moment. Right now, though, Montreal has to have that momentum. I mean, they saw what they were able to do in Toronto, by the way, getting their first win at BMO Field in in their history, if I'm not mistaken. So now they know that they can win at BMO Field and they'll ha- hopefully have the opportunity to do that again in two weeks. But it all starts here on Sunday against Hamilton. You got to go in there. You got to set the tone early and you just got to, as I said, just got to punch him in the face over and over again. And if Montreal can do that consistently for four quarters, pile on the points really make that statement happen. You, 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 you keep talking about statement drives that the Alouettes make. Mm-hmm. Every drive, I think, has to be a statement drive at this point. You have to make it clear, hey, this team is good. They're better than good, in fact. And nobody wants to believe it, but 
if, if the Alouettes can do that, if they can set the tone early, be dominant, and prove that they are that team, they're going to walk out with a W. Yep. And by the way, yes, you're right. That was the Owls' very first win at BMO Field. So as far as I'm concerned, the Alouettes have momentum of their own. I mean, Hamilton's playing pretty outstanding football. You know, they're, they're getting their act together, I think, at just the right time. But now you got to go into Montreal, where Hamilton did not win once this year. The two of the three games that these teams played against each other, both losses for Hamilton came at Percival Molson Stadium. Yeah, got to be careful. We saw what happened. We saw what happened with the last one. We can't get too complacent because Toronto had not won in Montreal in, in years. Exactly. So can't get, get, Cannot get complacent. No, and really, truly, I, I, I said it before and I'll say it again. It's winner stay home for the mm-hmm. Alouettes. Exactly. Simple as that. And I, I don't think this team is ready to close this chapter of the season. Like They're not ready. Their story is not finished. No. I don't think, I truly don't think it is. No, I so. agree. Um, we really appreciate everybody's time for joining us this week. We had fun talking about uh, the regular season. We'll be talking about more, obviously. We will be back no matter what happens this week. And But obviously, we're hoping to, to be talking about the uh, the Owls heading to Toronto for that Eastern uh, that Eastern final. So for everybody here at the Alouettes Flight Deck for Cliffy D, I'm Tim Capper. We're on Final Approach. Take off to the great white north. Take off. It's a beauty way to go. Take off to the great white north. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.